Good morning, my name is Morgan Verveldi, and today's reading is from 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father. The temple was built on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, the site that David had selected. The construction began in mid-spring during the fourth year of Solomon's reign. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in the country of Poland, in the city of Krakow, at number four Lipawa Street, stands a building that once functioned as the offices for an enamel factory. The enamel factory once bore the name of its owner, Oskar Schindler. And it was in this building that approximately 1,100 Jewish lives were saved from extermination during World War II. Though he was a member of the Nazi party himself, enamel factory owner Oskar Schindler enacted a plan to save the lives of Jews by employing them in his factory. Schindler's plant produced ammunition shells, which made the plant essential to the German war effort. Inmates of the nearby concentration camp in Krakow were recruited by Schindler to work in his factory, thereby making these Jews, by extension, essential to the German war effort. Today, Schindler's plant at number 4 Lipawa Street in Krakow is a museum. Tourists can now visit the room that was once Schindler's office, complete with the very desk he used. On the desk is a list of the names of the Jews whose lives were saved in the plant. Number 4 Lipawa Street in Krakow is a location of salvation. It is a place where 1,100 lives were saved during World War II. And today, we're looking at the site of the temple building, which was, in and of itself, a location of salvation. Two men turned away from themselves at this moment, at this place, and two men experienced the salvation of the Lord at the location of salvation that was the temple building site. So we're going to look at week or we're going to look at the first event this week in part one of this message, and then we're going to look at the second event next week in part two of this message. But we're in the middle of a series called Rise, where we are looking at the rise of the temple in Jerusalem. And we're looking at the rise of the temple in Jerusalem as we rise to our own place of worship at 249 Main Street. So what parallels can we draw between Israel's rise to their temple home in Jerusalem, and, and what can we learn from them as we rise to our worship location at 249 Main Street. And today, as Morgan read for us, we read about the site of the temple building in Jerusalem, which was itself a location of salvation. Let's look at what 2 Chronicles 3 verse 1 says about the temple building site in Jerusalem. It says, So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father. The temple was built on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, the site that David had selected. So two biblical events, or two names for the site of the temple. One is Mount Moriah, and this is the event that we're looking at today. And number two is the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, which is what we're going to look at in part two next week. So first of all, Mount Moriah. Well, what happened on Mount Moriah in the Bible. And for that, we have to go back to Genesis 22 to the first time that Mount Moriah is mentioned in Scripture. Look at Genesis 22, 1-2. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. 
Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Many of us know this event as the testing of Abraham's faith. God gifted a son, Isaac, to Abraham, promised Abraham that he would father a nation through his son, Isaac. But God tests Abraham's faith. Who does Abraham love more? Does Abraham love God more or does he love his son Isaac more? And so God instructs Abraham to bring his son to a place called Mount Moriah, which is later where the temple would be built. And it's on Mount Moriah that Abraham nearly sacrifices his son. Let's pick up the story in Genesis 22, verses 9 to 12. When Abraham and his son arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. So Abraham lays Isaac on the altar, and just as Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac, God stops all of the events and says, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you, Abraham, love me, God, more than you love your son Isaac. And so on Mount Moriah, we call this a location of salvation because the life of Isaac was saved. The life of Isaac was spared. Mount Moriah is a location of salvation because the life of Isaac was spared, just as number four, Lepawa Street in Krakow is a location of salvation because 1,100 lives of Jews were spared. Mount Moriah is a location of salvation. Then Solomon, in his prayer over the temple, prays something interesting over the priests who will serve there. Last week, our scripture reading came from 2 Chronicles chapter 6, which is the dedication ceremony for Jerusalem. And Solomon gets up in front of everybody and he prays a prayer as the temple is being dedicated to the Lord. And look at what Solomon prays over the priests who will serve in that temple. Look at Second Chronicles 6.41. Solomon prays, May your priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation. May your loyal servants rejoice in your goodness. And so Solomon prays that the priests who serve in the temple would be clothed in salvation. Now we ought to pick up on this because we are servants of the Lord and we're about to be servants of the Lord in a new worship home. And so as servants of the Lord, we also ought to be clothed in salvation. Our lives ought to reflect God's salvation upon us. Our lives ought to exude and exhibit the fact that we are saved people. The fact that God has given us new life. He's saved us from life to death. We ought to be clothed in salvation as his people. So how do we do this? How do we live lives that are clothed in salvation? Well, I think we start living lives that are clothed in salvation by living differently from the rest of the world, by living distinctly from the rest of the world. A couple weeks ago, I told you about filling out the Culver's receipt, the survey, to get a free scoop. Well, this past week, I had something even better. I had a coupon for a free value basket and a coupon for a free concrete mixer. 
And, and many of you know that I had to do a funeral of a former student this past week, so I was going to go to Culver's, I was going to eat a gigantic meal, so I was fueled up, ready to go, and then I was just going to crank out, you know, the funeral, right, and just kind of get into it, because they're open until 11 p.m., so I had plenty of time to get that funeral cranked out. So I go up, and, and when you have the coupon for the value basket, this is not the time to get something cheap. This is the time to get the biggest sandwich you possibly can. So this is the time for the bacon deluxe. Two patties of meat, bacon, ketchup, cheese, lettuce, mayo, onions. Yes, like that's what I'm talking about. As big a sandwich as I can possibly get with my free value basket coupon. So yes, bacon deluxe, please. And I handed the woman who was by the register my coupon, and I could tell that she was really struggling to zero out the total. You know, and like all of a sudden I saw part of the meal come off and then there was still this remaining balance and I could tell she's trying to get the coupon applied to zero out the meal. And at one point, she just kind of stepped back from the register and just began to stand there like this. And that's when my impatience started to kind of boil up. Like, what's going on here? Like, I can tell you're having zeroing out the coupon, which is fine. A lot of people, you know, you got to get like the manager swipe sometime to zero these things out, but she just stood back and stood there and kind of even like folded her hands down like this and just kind of stood and I'm going, what's going on? You know, so to kind of move things along, I just sort of grabbed my number and I said, are we good here? You know, and she said, well, I, I need help from the manager to get this figured out. And that's like when my patients really started to boil over. And I said to her, I said, well, does the manager know you want her attention? You know, and what I didn't say is because you're kind of just standing there and you're not even signaling to the manager that you need help, you know. So like by now I'm like, ooh, because I'm here, I mean, not only to stuff my face full, but like I got work to do, right? Like I'm ready, I'm, I'm committed to being in that seat to either getting the funeral liturgy done or 11 o'clock p.m., whatever comes quicker, right? So like I'm here to work, you know, not to mess around. So like let's go. So I'm like, my patience is just like, you know, and then there's this check in the back of my conscience. It's like the Holy Spirit or something. And he starts saying, you know, this is not the way. This is not the way that a saved person acts. This is the way one who's of the world acts. Not one who's of my world acts. You know, you're acting in the flesh right now, Verveldi. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Because like, if I, when I get that survey, I'm going to fill it out for a free scoop. And when they say, would you like to recognize an employee by name? Oh, yes, I would. Right? That's, that's the world's way. That's my flesh's way. Well, thankfully, you know, my impatience was about to really boil over. And somehow, in a miraculous way, the manager caught sight of this woman behind the register and kind of like came over and then remedied the situation. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. But, you know, like, I, I still failed. I still failed, right? Because I let, I let a, a worldly attitude get to me, and I, I had this check. This is, you, you are living no differently from the rest of the world. And so how do we live lives that are clothed in salvation? Well, number one, this is something I think we ought to be thinking about a lot, folks, is, is my life any different from all the other lives that are out there in the world? Am I living distinctly from the rest of the world? Is there anything different about the way of, of my being in this world. Because I think there ought to be. If I'm a saved person, 
My life should be different in some way. People should look at my life and see, wait a minute, this person has a different way of being in the world. This person's life is different than the other lives in the world. Impatient, let's move on. I got work to do. Bill is thinking about my flesh, all the work I have to get done, and thinking about why isn't this employee be performing at a better level to make contact with the manager. That's all worldly. But like a Bill who's saved recognizes this is the Lord's work that you're about to do. The Lord has appointed you to it. The Lord will work in you to get it done. He will redeem the time. Yes, this is taking time, but I'm the God of time. So I'll get it done through you, Bill Verveldi. That's how a Bill Verveldi living in salvation should have handled that situation. How do we live lives that are clothed in salvation? We've got to live differently. They've got to be distinct from the rest of the world. People should see the salvation clothed upon us. See God's new life that he's given us lived out. Look at what Matthew 3, verses 1 to 2 says. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist says, Repent. How do we live lives that are clothed in salvation? We ought to be people who routinely and regularly make a habit of repenting. Now, repenting is not just saying, I'm sorry to God for a sin or from an infraction or for not living up to God's standards. That's part of it. There is regret there for the fact that we have sinned, we violated God's standards for us. That's part of it. But it's not just saying, I'm sorry. Repenting is a turning away from sin and turning toward the Lord. It's like a U-turn. So the Greek word for repent is metanoia, which actually means a change of heart and mind. It's a U-turn. It's a change. Look at what the biblical sense lexicon says about repentance. It is to have a change of heart and mind that abandons former dispositions, or we might say our own dispositions, or sinful dispositions, or worldly dispositions, and results in a new self, new behavior, and then regret. Here's where the I'm sorry comes in. Regret over former behavior and dispositions. Repentance is a U-turn. We turn away from our sinful ways, our way of being in this world, our conscience, our mind, our flesh, and we turn toward the Lord and say, God, I want to be the way you want me to be in the world. I want to follow your ways. I want you to be the one who I trust in. I want you to be my satisfaction. I want my ways to be your ways, or rather, your ways to be my ways. There's a better way of saying that. It is a turning away. It's a U-turn. And then we regret the ways in which we've sinned, in which we've brought him sorrow. It's a U-turn. You might say that Oscar Schindler turned away. He turned away from the Nazi party, the of death. And I like to think it's his Catholic faith that prompted him to turn toward a surreptitious solution to save lives here. That rather than perpetrating that ideology of death, that he realized, I have the opportunity. I'm in a unique position to save some lives. So Oscar Schindler turned away. Will we turn away? Will we turn away? That conscience mechanism, that Holy Spirit, that I think was a repentance mechanism. Saying, you're inhabiting your flesh, Bill. You're doing things your way. You're not doing things my way. You're on the verge of making a scene. <laughs> you're on the verge of becoming that person who says, do not accept checks or service for <laughs> this man with a picture right there on the register. Right? 
No, it's a turning away from our ways and a turning toward God's ways. Abraham did this. Abraham turned away from his ways and he turned toward God's ways. Think for a second about what must have been running through Abraham's mind on that trip. It was a three-day trip to Mount Moriah where he's supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac. Number one, God miraculously gave them Isaac, even though his wife Sarah was beyond childbearing years. So Isaac's very life is a miracle. Number two, God promised that Abraham would father a nation through this son Isaac. Miracle son that leads to the fulfillment of God's promise. And how much does Abraham love his son just as a father loves a child? So if you're Abraham, you're going, what? Why? How, God? Why would you ask me to do something like this? Why? You give me this gift, and then you promise the nation through my son, and now you tell me to kill him? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Think of the things that are going through Abraham's mind. And all of the questions and all of the wondering and all of the confusedness that he must have been dealing with as he made that trek out to Mount Mount Moriah. But Abraham got to the point where he passed the test of faith because he turned away from his way of being, his questions, his wondering, his confusion, and he turned toward the Lord and his ways. And we know this for a fact because the author of Hebrews tells us so. And the author of Hebrews gives us a window into Abraham's mind, turning away from himself and turning toward the Lord. Look at Hebrews 11, 17 and 19. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Who had received God's promises was ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. So there's the promise. Promise will be carried out through your son. What? Well, how's the promise going to carry through if I sacrifice him? That's what Abraham is wondering right now, if he's thinking in his own terms and in his own ways. But now look at 19, and we get a window into where Abraham turned. It says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. That's why this is a location of salvation, because in a way, Abraham received Isaac back from the dead. His life was saved. But look at this. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. So do you see the turning? Rather than letting the questions and the confusion and the wondering get in the way of Abraham's faith, he turned toward the Lord and realized, you know what? God's a God of life. God's the one who gave us this life. God's the one who could take this life away if he wants, which he's telling me to do, but he can give this life back to us again. We only have this life because of the Lord, because he is so sovereign that he is sovereign even over life and death. And if God wants to, he can bring Isaac back to life again. That was the faith that Abraham had in that moment. That was his turning away from Abraham's own dispositions and all the wondering and all the questions and turning toward the Lord and him realizing God's even sovereign over life and death. He turned away from his own way and made a U-turn and turned toward God's way. How do we live clothed in salvation? Well, number one, our lives ought to look different from the world. And number two, we ought to be repenting people who turn away from our sin, who turn away from our destructive habits and desires 
and turn toward the Lord to be satisfied in Him. We turn toward His ways. We turn away from our ways. We turn toward Him. We turn away from our ways of being in the world and we say, God, help me be how You want me to be in this world. I repent. I'm sorry. I regret how I've violated You, how I've violated Your law, how I haven't trusted in Your goodness, trusted in Your sovereignty, how I haven't trusted You to satisfy me and be my number one love. And instead I've loved all these other things more than you. I turn away from those things, Lord, and I turn toward you. How do we live clothed in salvation? We are repenting people. Well, not far from Mount Moriah, not far at all, there's another hill. This hill has the name of Golgotha. And many years after the temple was constructed on Mount Moriah, Jesus, God's only son, would trudge up. And Golgotha became a location of salvation as God's only son was laid upon the wood. And as God's only son became the sacrifice for all of the people of God. So it was at Golgotha, this hill, that the location of salvation was born. That Jesus died for our sins so that we might live saved lives. So that we might be saved people. Look at what Romans 3.25 says. It says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God chose to save us through Jesus Christ, His only Son, I might add. Thank you, Jesus, for being the sacrifice so that we can live clothed with salvation.